Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. If you like what we do, please give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends where you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Feel free to connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic Podcast, where we do all of our post-game live streams. You can also shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who always punts from the 30, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? <laughs> can I just talk about a little bit of PTSD that came watching Dave Aranda, a genius defensive coordinator who became a head coach and seemed, you know, early in his tenure to be slightly out of his depth. Um, just took me back to some some um, less than ideal Charlie days. Uh, <laughs> there there were some decisions, man, in this one, and and, and I like Aranda. I, I I had a poll in the pregamer. Um, and I was surprised to see that uh, who does he look most like between uh, Kai. You, uh, Krillin from Dragon Ball Z and Mr. Clean, he actually went Krillin um, out of the three, but um, no, I think he's going to be a fun addition to the Big 12 for years to come, especially if he um, helps uh, make it easy to coach against by punting on the 30 and doing things like that, but uh, Gerald, I think we're going to get into that, we're going to break down some Baylor things in a little more depth, but uh, yeah, that that um, a win is, is nice, you always feel a little bit better coming into the week, coming into recording these, uh, even if there are things that you could break down, um, it's much more fun to do it during a win, Gerald how has your weekend slash week been? Uh, not bad. Both of the kids are sick, so you know you got to deal with that. But it is what it is. Uh, there's nothing worse than like a sick actual baby. Like it's just like I can't do anything for you. They don't really make medicine for babies that little. <laughs> uh, but outside of that, man, things are fine. It's like icing in Oklahoma currently, so like that's that sucks. Um, but you know, worse things have happened, especially because I haven't left my house to go to work since March and I probably won't do it again until well next March. So that's totally fine. But uh, we're not here to talk about what, uh, what current quarantine situation I'm in or whether or not I had to dig my sweatpants out because it got cold suddenly. And I don't <laughs> like wearing real pants. We're here to talk about some football. So Texas come out, came out of a bye week uh, much better than they came out of their last bye week and managed to come away with a win against the Baylor Bears, 27-16. to 16. Probably should have been 34-16. to 16. We can talk about that uh, a little bit later. But they they really, after talking a week about, we need to fix the fixables. We need to fix the fixables. Now, obviously, this is opponent-adjusted because Baylor is not a good football team. Uh, but it seemed like, at least, this is a game where Texas in the past would probably shoot themselves in the foot and really try to lose this one. And even though the score was close, it didn't really feel like that uh, throughout the game. There were a couple spots where it did, but I think throughout the game, Texas seemed to at least know what it was doing and be able to tell its right foot from its left foot. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the way you put that, right? Tell its right foot from its left foot and not trip over either. Um, there were, uh, there were things that, that certainly could be better. There are things that have to be, I think, um, inflation adjusted because I think Baylor, you know, offered, and, and I think we said this, right, would be a, a relatively milk toast offense. Um, Charlie Brewer, you know, um, t- tough kid, a uh, bit of a rag arm, but, uh, you know, in Baylor defense, 
good, but probably again will be better a little bit later when they're more organized. Like everyone else has uh, not had the spring to to get a new uh, coordinator and defensive-minded head coach uh, installed in there. And um, you know, uh, it seems like again there's talent, there's things that they want to do that they they may not be perfect at doing just yet. And so all that kind of said that this was a game that you and I both went in with about as much confidence um, for non-Kansas football that we were going to have probably the entire season. Um, There were people who disagreed with us, of course, but I think, yet again, listen to this podcast, folks. This is where the true facts live. Um, Gerald and I knew uh, that Texas should uh, come out and do, you know, at least what they did. So, I mean, is that that a fair way to kind of think about this game, Gerald, that they did at least – what they should have done. Like they may not have wowed and done everything perfect. And there may have been some decisions and game plan things that we can break down a little bit more, but from a 10,000 foot view, you look at this week of, yeah, they, they, they did what at bare minimum should have been done. So after three straight games of, of being infuriated at Texas's level of play after three straight weeks being like, what do they do? During practice, after three straight weeks of really like pulling out what hair we have left, um, trying to figure out what was going on in the field, I think th- for this was the first time really since UTEP that Texas felt like they they had played football before. For to to really simplify it, where um, the coaches seemed to not have have just sat on their hands all week, and, and I think um, and and you said this via text, Kyle, and I think there's nothing – I think this is the most true thing I've heard in a very long time about Texas football. If Cade Brewer decides to score instead of sit down on the five-yard line, I think a lot of us feel so much different about this game because, like, there's a massive, massive difference in that, in that additional seven points, right? Like, 34 to 16 feels a lot better – than 27 to 16, right? That that game feels way more in hand. That game feels more. Now, that's not to say that Texas didn't leave points on the field earlier in the game and probably didn't need that. But, like, if Cade Brewer doesn't – besides, Cade Brewer made the right call there, by the way. There's no reason to extend the game at all. Just, like, down it, let him kneel it out, even if you are on the five-yard line. But, like, the if Cade Brewer goes in for a score and Texas wins this game – and scores thirty four points. I think. I think a lot of us feel a lot better about it. Yeah, win by sixteen is is uh, or, or eighteen is nice. Um, I agree. I disagree emphatically, though, that, that Texas should have uh, absolutely scored there. Brewer should have put the foot on the throat. You got to remind Baylor their place in the pecking order. You know, this is Texas. We got to be the Joneses. Let's let's use the the backs of of and the necks of of our opponents as we vanquish them to step and and ultimately exalt our own position now i'm kind of being facetious but i wouldn't have been mad if he did either way but you're right it was the probably correct football play but uh you know at this point as bad as it's been for a decade much less um the past three weeks uh just give give the fans something you know throw them a bone just go go score at the end i don't hate if you if you would have done it i would have been here on this podcast defending his decision to do so oh yeah no there there, there's no wrong way to go about that Mm -hmm. but i think from from a like let's just get this thing over with and walk especially after the way the last couple of games have ended against well in this season and then against baylor as well like it's just good to have like a hey let's 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 take the victory formation everybody everybody agrees on one play call every game and that's victory right mm-hmm. we're all glad when the QB gets to take a knee so uh, let's Kyle let's let's dive in a little bit deeper and let's let's start with the offense so the Texas offense um, put up a pretty solid performance I mean it, it people seem to be down on this performance but like 
granted, again, opponent adjusted, but 429 yards, 270 through the air, 159 on the ground. Uh, they averaged more, uh, greater than six yards per play, 6.1 yard per play uh, performance. Texas was really efficient on third downs mm-hmm. with 8 of 15, which will come in handy against Oklahoma State. We'll talk about that on Thursday. Uh, in the red zone, they went four or five, three TDs, which, again, scoring, kicking field goals in the red zone gets you beat. So, Texas three of their four conversions in the red zone went for touchdown. So like Texas kind of seemed to dot all the eyes, at least from an offensive standpoint, Ellinger had his one inexplicable interception, but he still put in a decent night, 15 to 25 or two seventy. He also chipped in uh, what 15 carries for 51 yards uh, while well, really 15 carries for, 67 yards, yeah. but at 16, yeah, but at 16 yards of sacks mixed in there. Um, but overall, again, it wasn't it wasn't a it wasn't a perfect performance. It wasn't a very flashy performance either. But Texas felt more efficient, more in control offensively than they have uh, all year outside of UTEP. Yeah, and I'm I, sorry, I'm gonna go back to your stat again. The four or five in the red zone, I think that's the one that they didn't score is the Brewer slide and Neil, right? Yes. That's the one. So I mean, they yeah. scored every time that they went in the red zone. So really, I mean, you could call that a nice five for five with with four TDs if you want to, you know, think what Brewer should have done. But um, no, I mean four, that, four that's four for four. It, sure, exactly four for four. That's a great stat. Like that's that's what you want to see. Efficiency on third down, efficiency in in the, in the kind of money zone um, is what if you think back to kind of the past two years of Tom Herman offenses under like with Sam Ellinger at the helm, what they've, when they've been successful, it's been, you know, being really elite at that. And I mean, I remember some of uh, past seasons where they've had the eight minute drives where they really milked the clock and they had to get third down and fourth down conversions. And just, they, they came up with those and would drive the ball down. And every time they got near the goal line, they were deadly and Sam was punching them in. And, 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 you know, while we said we would love to see the next level and evolution of that offense, um, it is good to have that in your, in your back pocket and to have that um, as an identity of a team who can be lethal in those two areas makes, makes you really, really, really dangerous. Right. Um, It's kind of funny that the, you know, the sec zigs were the big 12 zags. And so obviously the sec has gone to like, um, you know, four years ago, Big 12, just wide open offense, no defense. And this clearly looked like a uh, not even an SEC, but like a, a, a 19, you know, uh, 80s SEC or Big 10 uh, or I guess Big 12. Big 10, Big 10 a year ago. Sure, fair. Yeah. Um, just with, you know, the amount of rushing that I mean, again, you're not going to take away 270 yards. It's not a nothing day from Sam Mellinger, but we'll talk a little bit about how uh, he accomplished a lot of the or a, a good chunk of that uh, on some, some big chunk plays. But um yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like this was a good offensive game, and 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 look, right? There was Tom Herman has said it countless times. We want to create our identity, not necessarily rely, but create our identity as a team that's able to run the ball, right? And so, if a Baylor team, we talked about it in our preview, that's you know opportunistic and ball hockey, and the easiest way to. Um, get around that is just to pound it down their throat um, and, and really tip the scales in that way. Um, then sure. I mean, let your play match your uniforms and go a little throwback and just run the ball, you know, a lot. Uh, the, the one thing I would say with that, and we can dive into it a little deeper is if that is your identity and you spend a bye week and two weeks of practice, knowing that and that you're going to come out and run you would love to see your line kind of more consistently get a huge push if you're going to do that i have no problem with running the ball a lot but i mean i said it kind of in our our, our post game live that keande ingram is the hardest working man in in you know eight yard showbiz because the the guy doesn't get the the easy eight yards that it seems like 
Texas will um, certain games and OU being one of them squander where it's just eight yards before a guy gets touched up the middle. Um, it felt like Keon, Keontae was breaking, you know, two or three tackles and multiple cuts to get his uh, his eight yards, a, you know, a, a good carry. Um, and and Bijan, I mean, I think similarly did all the things right that you want to see from a dynamic freshman who had kind of a boneheaded play trying to make too much. Uh, with his injury with the hurdle, I think he did what he needed to. Got the ball carried, make a smart read, you know, got what the line was going to give him to get the first push, and then finish runs off, right? And so from both of those guys, um, I think our running game really uh, really looked good. I mean, it, it. well, let me say this. It looked, it looked serviceable, which is a step up probably from where it has been in past games. Think about how quickly they abandoned against OU. So now maybe the forward path is how do you balance and, and bring those things back back together and create a full fully formed offensive unit again I think you have to consider this like a committee right so you when you look at what the two running backs did together they they had a pretty solid outing and Tom Herman has said it I, th- I think he said it maybe I just made this up or maybe it's just my opinion but like part of the reason why in the way that Texas recruits running backs is like you're gonna come here and have a lot of tread left on the tire to get to the pros and I think that's that's what Tom Herman has done um, and so I mean you have you know two running backs that combined for 28 carries for what 113 yards like that's that's what Chuba Hubbard has done for a couple of weeks uh, this year. And so I think it's interesting uh, to see what the running backs are going to do. Now, again, I think uh, Baylor's rush defense is not the greatest in the world, but I think they'll get a true test and we'll see what they're about to do. I still think Sam makes all of the wrong choices yeah. on, on read plays. Yeah. Uh, I, and, and I don't know if it's a, like he scouts a team, he watches so much film and they show a tendency. So he just goes with that or it's like, they usually they usually overplay the running back. So I'm just going to pull everyone mm. or they usually overplay the quarterback. So I'm going to give everyone. But I, I, I think that to me is the, gl- the biggest glaring issue. And it's hard. And, and I'm not the guy who's down on Sam. I think Sam is easily the toughest quarterback I've ever seen at the University of Texas. Sure. And he's struggled this season, but I think we've seen Sam be one of the better quarterbacks Texas has seen in probably the last two decades. So, like, don't hear me saying that, but I think if there's a flaw in the running game and an offense that's going to run plays that are run-pass options and even, like, a triple option like they did on on Saturday, like, they ran a triple option, by the way, when he overthrew Jared Wiley. That, to me, Sam, there's something in there that I want to see done differently because if Texas can execute on those plays, like against OU, Sam left probably 30 or 40 rushing yards on the table and I, because he gave it instead of pulled yeah. it. And I think that happened in reverse in this game where Sam probably left 15 or 20 yards on the field where Texas probably could have extended another drive, gives it instead of keeps it. Right. So I think there's, there's something to be said for that that I'm curious about on the running game. And if they can get that figured out, I think that's probably the X factor for the running game is if you can get Sam Ellinger to do what he does really well and he did really well the previous two seasons which is kind of play play the RPO game play the zone read game um, I mean Texas when you look at its two greatest quarterbacks of the last 20 years Vince Young and Colt McCoy the running game was really predicated on them running zone reads really well and I think the sure. RPO is just zone read 2.0 and so I'm curious to see if they can get that ironed out in the last again five games of the season yeah and 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 i just one brief caveat to what you said about you know sam ellinger playing you know being slightly down this year i think that's only because he showed us what his ceiling can be right i think um yeah we're right 
to say that, that he is not at his 1000%. There's some things he's doing very well this year, certainly. Um, and like you said, just very tough. I think, you know, he's taken some hits and, and, and the guy is just so tough that I remember thinking as he took a couple just rib shots and hard, hard hits in this Baylor game, um, that it really truly probably is true that if he doesn't have a limb that's like broken and unusable or literally a headshot where it's like something dangerous to his physical health, you're not going to get him off the field. Like he's just um, that tough. And I mean, you have to commend and I, I can only imagine as a player with a guy like Sam on the team, how, how, you know, how much that like motivates you to be there for him and to come through for him. Um, there was a, the, you know, we'll talk about the receivers in just a second, but there was um, some play on the offensive line that I felt like they, they did step up a little bit for Sam. I thought Cosme had a, had a particularly good game um, in both run and pass protection. He just looks um, to be kind of nasty a couple times, which is what you want um, from a guy who, you know, gets, gets round one, draft grades right I mean we're, we're talking about Sam and we're talking both Sam's Cosme and Ellinger in a way because they have said you know my floor is this this is what my ceiling could be and we expect them both to play to that and I don't know that this season either of them has necessarily been a plus all the time but I did think that in this game um that Cosme looked looked great um in in both the run and pass pro and then I think uh, like you said a toughness factor Sam was there he got his he got his completion percentage numbers up there was still a couple throws where he left meat on the bone I think that interception um that he had like you mentioned just could have been gone a little quicker and then you you know you 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 pad your 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 passing numbers and you don't give the turnover uh up that they they scored on right and that kind of jump started a really stagnant Baylor offense which you know didn't end up mattering but still you, the, those are things from a senior you just expect a little bit of difference but I'll say you know to, to wrap it up put a bow on it and we can move on um the running game you had 18 carries over 100 yards but all of those carries pretty much went to Bijan and Keontae Ingram Ro, Ro, uh, Rojan Johnson only had one carry uh for one yard he did have a catch for seven yards and i think he had 36 broken tackles between those two touches um the guy worked hard for what he got uh i don't know if there was you know a specific reason if they just said the hot hand but herman has said repeatedly there's three guys who have earned the right to play uh at that position um so i mean i just something to keep an eye on as we look at oklahoma state next week is if that's that same kind of rotation it looked like Bijan had usurped uh in this game as being he probably i would imagine got the most snaps out of the three Keontae ended up out carrying him um but in the early rounds it was Bijan both in pass protection uh and running the ball who kind of was the the probably the main threat not by a lot but but probably out snapped the other two um at the running back room so just an interesting thing to to look at if we We've said three guys could be hot hand theory, all those things, but it's just something to think about as we head into what's you know our biggest game left in the season. Two things. One, there's going to be a play that people point to where Cosme looked really, really bad, um, as you mentioned, Sam Cosme. And I'll go ahead and say it. As somebody who watches the offensive line, he was expecting a chip from the guard yep. that didn't show up. And so when, you, when you're expecting help from an inside interior lineman as a tackle and the guy goes inside, you get beat. That's just how it works. So that might actually be on Junior Angulao and not on Sam Cosme, yep. but because you saw the back of Sam Cosme's jersey, everybody's going to blame him. And I don't. I, I blamed him initially, and then on the rewatch, I was like, eh, that probably was on Angulao. Angulao and not on Cosme. And then I think for the the Roshan Johnson situation, what my mind immediately went to was who's the best in pass protection yeah. of the running backs. And I think it's probably Keontae and Bijan just because Roshan is still learning the position a little bit. Sure. There were a couple of spots where Roshan was in in pass pro and got beat. And so I think there's that to me is probably 
even what may have predicated who got the snaps and who got the 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 carries. But again, I think it's it's seeing Bijan out there as the as the starter air quotes, right? Because I think I think if Tom Herman had his way, it'd probably be or 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 next to all right. three of them. So like the first guy to trot out um, being Bijan was an interesting look. And again, I think um, Roshan wasn't necessarily as big of a factor as he has been in the past. But again, Roshan's a guy I think who's going to put his head down. Uh, we do have to talk about the, the, the receivers and tight ends uh, briefly before we move on to the, uh, to the defensive side of the ball. But I don't want to make this performance for the receiver group. Cause I don't think anybody really had like a, had an outstanding game. I think if, if, Targ Black doesn't get walked. I think he's the guy we talk about, sure. um, but he gets walked uh, because he ran one of the slowest breakaways we'll ever talk about. I think we do have to talk a lot about Jared Wiley and uh, why he's probably should be the starter. Um, Josh Moore bailed Sam Ellinger out mm-hmm. on a pass. Let's just be honest. And the fact that you've got a you now I've said it before. I think Josh Moore is probably the best 50, 50 ball catcher we've seen in a long time yeah. um, for, for several years. And so, but like he's, he's, he's not your tallest receiver. He's, I think he's six foot. Right. Um, so like him bailing Sam out on that pass again, Sam rewarded him two plays later with a touchdown, which worked out really well. Brendan Eagles didn't pay the Eagles tax this week, which was a good development before mm-hmm. receptions for 36 yards. Um, it was just a weird week for the receivers. And again, Texas wasn't the top end offense that they've been in the, in the past and haven't, I don't think they've had to be. And maybe that was a thing. Maybe Texas just didn't have to be the octane offense that they needed to be because Baylor's offense was just so bad. Right. And we'll talk about Baylor's offense and Texas defense in a moment, but I, I kind of agree. I think, I think the idea that they knew that this wasn't going to be a, you know, a sprint to shoot out a, you know, think of the opposite of the Texas tech game, right? They knew that this was going to be not a home run that you have to have. I think I talked to a couple uh, Baylor folks before this game and, and kind of in confidence, multiple people confirmed. Um, I think they had different numbers, but one of them said as low as if you get more than 21 points against this Baylor defense, which is good, but if you're able to score more than 21, then yeah, game's over. We can't catch you, um, which tells you where they're kind of um, folks who are covering that program's um heart is at for their offense so it may be obviously texas coaching staff knew that and um just you know a lot of 12 personnel in this game again that lends itself to to running they're trying to create that identity of power and and you know also use the the tight ends in in the passing game i, I do think yeah if, if there's one person to talk about the, the sad thing is it was really all in one drive but that drive that josh moore had was great and that's where i really said you know two guys helped your quarterback out right cosme had literally perfect pass protection on the backside on that throw sam put it up josh moore Moore went up and just won a 50-50 ball. Again, Moore listed at 6'1", 169. We know depth charts lie. So he might be shorter. He might even be lighter. Um, so not like not your not your Colin Johnson, not the guy you expect, you know, think other schools, Hakeem Putler, like not the guys you expect to be your 6'5", 230, you know, jump ball specialist. Um, but he's clearly shown he's incredibly athletic. Um, I think after he scored a touchdown on that drive, he uh, he went and celebrated with a big man. And, and because he's so light, there's a picture of him that I think he got launched. Uh, it looked like the jetpack guy was back in the stadium. He was about 20 yards in the air. Um, I worried about his ankles when landing. But um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. But but obviously, I mean, that, that was the drive where you like oh wow okay so we have some receivers and then I don't know that there was anything else in the in the game again minus just how slow uh Tarek Black looked with a busted coverage and like 20 yards of space got got walked down um I think we said late career Drew Bledsoe was the comp on that one but uh <laughs> I mean I, I, I 
possession receiver at this point. Cool. I, I'm fine with that if he wants to catch the ball. But, uh, yeah, he's not going to probably be your breakaway. But I think Josh Moore was the only guy who stood out to me. And, and then, you know, Wiley taking advantage when they're going to go two tight ends and he's the tight end that the defense clearly says Brewer's the number one. So we're going to scheme and make Wiley be the point of, you know, that's where we have to beat us. Then Texas is taking that. And they've done that a couple weeks in a row when Wiley gets looks. And, and uh, you know, again, there was a defensive error with Baylor where they just – Missed Wiley, let him run. Uh, he's six seven, so he's he's very big. I don't know how you do that, but somehow let a six seven guy wander aimlessly through their defense. But hey, man, all credit to Wiley, a guy who is at this point in his career all ceiling, right? Like we know he can be good, he can be better, but he's learning the position, learning to block, learning to catch. He's learning all the basics of being tight end, except being big. He's known that for a while, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think he is a guy who excites me for the rest of the year. I think it's probably time to just name him the starting tight end because Cade Brewer had some blocking issues. And if Cade Brewer, his experience at the position and his ability to block are the two things that he brings to the table. And he's not even doing the, the latter of those better than, than, you know, the level that Wiley's producing now. I don't know why you don't just have Wiley in there when you're not in 12 personnel as your one tight end, uh, who's going to be on the field. I don't know. But, uh, to me, that's, that's a move that probably needs to happen sooner rather than later. And the thing that I think we need to remember about Jared Wiley is that we are this impressed with Jared Wiley. This is the first time he's played the same position in multiple, like, back-to-back seasons since, like, starting high school. Yeah. So, like, this is – I mean, I think maybe it's a junior. I don't remember what the exact yeah. quote was. But, like, for, for most of his football career when it mattered – this is the first time Jared Wiley has played the same position in, in consecutive years. And so I think as we see the giant from Temple continue to progress, I think he has he has an opportunity to be one of the greats at that position at Texas. So I'm excited to see it. And how do you lose a man that size? Like, <laughs> Not only is he that big, but dude is like tatted up. So like massive tatted guy. Like how do you let how do you let him sneak out of there? He's he's from Temple, too. He's been he, he's been in and around Waco for quite some time. So like they should be very, very familiar uh, with Jared Wiley. But I like I don't know why Texas doesn't run 12 personnel more. I think that's something that I, I would love to see them do more, especially just because like Jared, like Jared Wiley is an is a matchup nightmare for folks. Mm-hmm. And I think having him and Brewer on the field at the same time creates those weird mismatches, creates those weird pick your poisons where you have those two on the field and then you have you know, a couple, a couple of wide receivers out there. So I think the ability to create those, like there's not, there's not a defensive back or a linebacker in the conference that I would say can, can cover Jared Wiley on what he brings. Like he's going to out muscle and out body a, 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 a cornerback and he's going to out speed a, a linebacker. And so I think that that's a guy that they really probably need to lean into. And I'm excited to see his future at, at that position. And, and Herman talked a little bit about the the rotation specifically at wide receiver, but I mean I think all it think of all your just pe- general pass catcher. He said that you know, and this is not a stat I had thought about. I know you run a lot. I played receiver. I know I ran a lot. Um, but Herman quantified it and said you know receivers can can accumulate as many as nine thousand yards running routes in a game. Nine thousand. That's like. I mean, I get it. You're playing 50 snaps. You're running 50 yards a pop. You know, like, wow. That's I just hadn't really put the math together because I'm not Mensa. Um, but that's 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 a lot, man. That's um, I get it. So that's why they're rotating. And he also said, you know, there, there's a there's a there's bell cow can't take them off the field, guys. Like you had in in, in Dev the Duve last year. Um, and this year, it's more that. 10 guys have earned the right to see the field. And, and so it's just a mentality thing there. Um, someone probably needs to step up and try to make that position their own. I think like we talked about Wiley doing that at tight end. The only thing I'll say about 12 personnel to go back to that is that 
the benefit that you get in the passing game we talked about with creating matchups and the height that you have. You know, if you have Epps around the goal line and you have Wiley and Epps in your 12 personnel, you just have, you know, basically um, you know, the the Monstars equivalent um in, in your in your slots with those guys at just under, you know, or just over six six each each way. Um but what what I haven't seen that translate to the twelve personnel is just blowing people off the line, right? And and I'm not saying our receivers are a better option. We have, you know, good run and pass blocking receivers, but I don't know that I don't know that either of those groups is excelling right now in helping a line, an offensive line that also isn't just blowing people back. And you would love to see when you're in 12 personnel that, you know, uh, Wiley's coming in or Brewer's coming in and especially helping where we've struggled early on at the right tackle and pushing back so that we can get that edge and get our running backs, you know, five yards with, with a head of steam and, and not having to make a move at the line of scrimmage. So, um, still things to work out right an imperfect system I think Herman Yursich anyone on this associated with this offense would tell you that a win is great but they do not they do not enter a big game week without things to fix to improve to get better to tweak you know it's there and, and in some ways we've said it many times on this podcast that can be a good thing right gives you something to you know keep people hungry but you know they they not comfortable don't get complacent wins with meat on the bone for the film session are always the ones that I really like and I do have to pause uh, before we move on from the offense and talk about that as we talk about fixing the fixables Texas had a successful third quarter for just the I think I'll go and say the first time this year Um, 143 yards 14 points first time they've scored multiple times in the third quarter all year it was actually a better third quarter than they put up against utep uh from yardage and points um and when you think about the way that the defense has struggled in third quarters it's because the offense struggled because again against tcu and ou like tcu they put up third or against ou they put up 13 yards in the third quarter and punted three times through three and outs and all of their yardage against tcu came on one drive meaning that that TCU had back-to-back drives that they granted TCU didn't answer. And that's a whole nother conversation. But like the fact that Texas managed to come out of the locker room and actually look like a football team uh, was impressive to me. And so uh, as uh, the defense pitched a shutout in that quarter. So you see that those two sides of the ball really do need to complement each other coming out of the locker room. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think it's perfect, right? That the third quarter was an Achilles heel. It was so bad. It was, it was something we dreaded, you know, I think, uh, you and I talked just off the podcast about you know is it have they changed up the orange slices at halftime you know is it what is it really just that we've we've fully depleted you know the pre-bake stash with Sally's cookies um, what are we missing that, that we're not getting to get that boost coming out of the half and I of course joke but something um, has been rotten in that state of, of Denmark but um, I, I'll just say this finally uh, on top of the third quarter Calvante Dixon, a freshman, got the first touch of the game. They seemed to have a package. They went back to him again. He got a couple touches in the end of the game. That's that's obviously Keontae's brother. And so we're, we're excited to see um, some other guys get in there. I, I, a guy I'm curious, you know, to see a, another high-ceiling uh, guy who we're, we're, we're really curious to see what he can contribute. Um, and then my last thing, we talked about receivers. 270 yards is not none. Um the fact that Jake Smith only got one catch for, I think, 14 of those yards um, and seemed to disappear. It wasn't even like he got missed on a bunch of routes. I, I want to see a step up. I hope he's fully healthy. Maybe he wasn't, um, and this was a game they didn't need him. But I think Oklahoma State next week when we talk about that game, uh, I would love it to be a Jake Smith blowout, breakout, you know, season two Jake Smith game. 
Yeah, and Sam did miss him once in the in the red zone for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. They scored. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a play that they've run quite a bit. That's a red zone favorite where you kind of run the 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 five yard out kind of. You're right. That's right. End. So I think he, he overthrew him on that one once. That's right. Um, so that again, there there's a lot left to be improved on week to week as Texas heads into Oklahoma State. Which again, when you say that with a win, it's always a good week. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about the offense, and we do really need to take our time and talk about the Texas defense, mm-hmm. uh, who put up a really, really strong performance, uh, and thanks in part to Charlie Brewer not being that strong-armed of a quarterback. We'll talk about how they managed that in just a minute. But just 316 yards, giving up 252 through the air, 64 on the ground. Um, really, it, it came down to Texas forcing... Baylor to be one dimensional, shutting down the running backs, just three yards a carry. None of the running backs got more than five, got more than four carries. So, uh, love it. Ebner and, uh, Williams, four carries, four carries and three carries respectively, uh, 21 yards, 17 yards and 10 yards respectively. So Baylor, uh, saw that they weren't getting what they wanted early and didn't force the issue, putting the game on the not so dangerous right arm of Charlie Brewer. Um, Texas seemed to, and this is this is what I loved about the game plan from Chris Ash and why I think Chris Ash is actually a really good defensive coordinator is that he's he's done a good job highlighting what the opposing team wants to do um, or, or kind of saying, hey, this is not what you do well, so we're going to try to make you beat us with it. Yeah. And yeah. so they, they put two safeties over the top and were like, hey, if you, you're going to, you could try to take the top off the defense, Charlie Brewer, and if you, if you can, great, but I don't think you can, and, and he showed that he couldn't. So the Texas defense really uh, kept a lid on things pretty well throughout the game. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think they gave up two runs of double digits, and they were 11- and 10-yard runs, so it wasn't even like they, they ever let anyone you know squirrel away and, and get um, get loose like they had in, in previous, where kind of big chunk runs had, had been problematic, especially think to like OU, for instance. Um, but yeah, giving up three yards of carry is kind of where Ash wants this, this unit to be, and he hit that. Um, I, I do think that uh, Brewer had a little bit of luck with some scrambles, um, and, and that probably bumped his, his stats up where he just squiggled out of the pocket and was able to stumble forward for some yards. But for the most part, when it was a designed running play, Texas just destroyed it. And one of the things that I love was the the East-West kind of um, – plays and think back to like a Maryland game, right? The jet sweeps these um, TCU's done it to us in years past. Um, But just when teams could get either a bubble screen that they knew they could get 12 yards of pop off of, which was utterly frustrating or, you know, a reverse or a jet sweep or a just, you know, design run to get uh, to that outside edge. Um, I mean, I would have to go back and and, and and I started to and didn't make it all the way through the game, but I would have to estimate that, that Baylor got less than 10 uh, yards the entire game with those types of plays. Like they just, maybe 20, I'll have to watch the second half, but I mean, they just, they had nothing. They had nothing at all. Uh, a majority of the yards just came when they, they kind of switched to the RPO and, and, and just took quick slants and, and like you said, took that intermediate. But the fact that Texas entirely used their team speed, first of all, to do it, 
swarmed to the ball at every opportunity, and then were sure in tackling for almost the entirety of the game. There was maybe one or two plays you would you know want different, but that's any team, any game, any week in the country, right? You're never going to have zero, guys. If you're listening and you're saying there was still one, I saw it, this one, it's going to happen. There's always going to be one. There's going to be two. Alabama has two or three every week. It happens. What we're trying to get away from is the Texas Tech game, is last year's game, where there's 25, right? That's the thing that infuriates you. One or two are fine, but I thought they tackled incredibly well, um, especially on those outside plays. I thought they swarmed so that even if a running back did get past the first guy, there was a second and a third, and they had no chance. And they just they they read well, they held contain, they set the edge themselves and penetrated uh, on the edge. They 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 did uh, well when Brewer did drop back uh, of getting pressure on him. I just feel like they 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 took an, an offense that that was relatively anemic and, and we know that right that there is a an inflation that that has to be added to this defensive performance but with that said for at least 75 percent of the game and, and you know Baylor got a little something going late they just they just suffocated them entirely and 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 like I said I think until Baylor realized that they could not by any stretch of the imagination or any trickeration even get the outside edge and and, and try to get that that big play around the edge that wasn't going to happen um i think that that's incredible and that that's a that's a chris ash uh kudos and a, a round of golf claps for him and and i think you you hit the nail on the head this is the first time in conference play that texas has limited what i like to call those chunk plays right offenses are eating up big chunks of yardage against you so um, the stats site that I that I use basically grabs runs that are longer than 10 or passes that are longer than 15 and consider those kind of big plays or chunk plays for your defense and so in the first three games Kyle I'm going to ask you this question as trivia how many chunk plays big plays did Texas give up are we talking average or combined average or combined I'll let you go either way whatever feels more comfortable to you Neither one feels comfortable. Um, I'm going to say they averaged. Tell me the definition of what quantifies a chunk again. Runs longer than 10, passes longer than 15. Longer than 15. I'm going to say they gave up six and a half per game. They gave up exactly 11 chunk Ooh. plays in each of the last three games. Yikes. So 11. Now, if you look at like breakdowns of how many yards that accounts for it, OU is a weird one because of the overtime period. So like, it's hard to calculate that. Um, but when you look at TCU and tech, those plays accounted for 56 and a half and 60% of the overall offensive production for those teams. So like they were just eating it up against Baylor, Texas limited them to five. And so when you when you think about a defensive performance, I, I've not been the guy that's been down on the defense all year. I've actually thought that the defense has been the reason that Texas was in two of the three conference games this year. But the defense showed you, I think, what they're capable of doing. Keep teams in front of them when they're able to keep teams and get teams to play the game that, that the defense wants them to play, right? When, when Chris Ash has his way, I think there's not – I don't know if there's – uh, a defensive coordinator I'd like in the conference to boa constrict an offense more than Chris Ash at this point. Because when 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 he's got them off of their game, that to me is is a special thing. And we saw what can happen against Baylor. And again, this is this is opponent adjusted because Charlie Brewer, I don't think Charlie Brewer does not have the arm to really expose right. you deep even if you give it to him. Um but Texas was determined to make him be like and that's what I've, I I like about Chris Ash and what I'm curious to see about um, going up against Oklahoma State. We'll talk about this more on Thursday. But, like, if Chris Ash says, okay, so 
we're going to shut down the run and, and make uh, Spencer Sanders beat us. Like, can Spencer Sanders do that in the passing game? And, and I don't know if the answer is yes. And so I'm curious to see how that turns out. We do also have to talk about what Texas managed to do to, to, to really mess me over on Podstradamus, Kyle. Um, <laughs> there were four dropped interceptions. Yeah. Four. I Now, I argued via text on Saturday and, and – it was a long day. So like that, I would like to cash in four should be interceptions for two actual interceptions, but that's enough. We're not going to say that that counts for Podstradamus. Uh, I can't, I'll give you a half point. How about that? I'll give you a half of Podstradamus. <laughs> I don't, could... I don't want it. I don't want your pity points, Kyle. I don't want your pity points, but I think the thing, honestly, more than, more than the interceptions, which we can talk about our coaches throwing random footballs that are in a linebacker in high school football practices, because he led our district and knock down passes because we couldn't catch <laughs> the fact that Texas was batting balls down at the line was yeah. a welcome change for me yeah. um, because it, you know, the, it's the basketball phrase is hands down, man down. Right. But like as a defensive lineman, there needs to be a, a, a switch that flips when it, if I'm not going to get to the quarterback, I need to stick my hands in the air and try to at least get a hand in that passing lane. And Texas did that for the first time. I think all year hands up. That's what's up. I, I'm going to go ahead and offer that. Um, it probably won't stick, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, if you oh, remember, J.J. Yeah. Watt made, I think, the $100 million contract, and, and it, he had good sack numbers. There's no doubt. But the thing that he kind of seemed to revolutionize at that defensive end position was that you know teams were now passing um, 40 plus times a game and so if you could bat down two or three passes a game he had that exact read that there would be rushes that J.J. Watt was not trying to get to the quarterback when he was in his prime where he was literally just getting into alignment looking at reading a quarterback's kind of throwing motion of his coming to his side he was pushing to clear space to give him like a jump zone basically to jump up and just take away a quarterback's cone of vision where you know he would have like 20 you know 18 to 20 pass bat downs a season and that was truly revolutionary right we hadn't really seen anyone be that disruptive in that way um I, I think it's very cool that texas had a game like this i hope that becomes a part of that repertoire i mean i can't remember the time we had multiple in a single game passes broken up at the line of scrimmage like that um i do think that i mean you look at charlie brewer right and, and, and the thing to say with him we know what he couldn't do what he could do he only had 13 incompletions in this game um five of them were, were true pass breakups either tipped at the line of scrimmage or um, broken up, you know, by a, a, a defender who, who got to the ball um, and knocked it out of a receiver's hands. Um, again, you'd like to see some of that ratio flip with some of those turn to turnovers, of course. Um, but, you know, when Brewers are only averaging under six yards of completion, um, you know that it's going to be hard to pick a bunch of uh, those off. It's going to be hard to get in there and break a bunch of those quick routes out. Um, you know, so, they, they did the contained thing, and that's great. But to get nine pass breakups in a game, I mean, I'd have to look back through the UT kind of annals. I don't know if we've had double-digit pre- pass breakups, so one more than we had against Baylor in, in a decade. You know, that that's a lot. Um, and so it is a good performance. I agree. It's hard to say, you know, uh, 30 for 43, you know, is, is you shut the quarterback down. But I mean, all he had was little three-yard routes, and, and clearly you look at the scoreboard and it didn't, you know, didn't – didn't come to fruition as beating the defense. So uh, again, all those caveats of how you grade a defense in 2020, I think there's no doubt that they gave Brewer a hard time. They took away some things he wanted to do. They let him do some things that they weren't as concerned with. And then they ultimately, you know, won that side of the football. I think Texas just, again, finally, I think whatever, whatever switch needed to flip at that defensive line spot, I think Charlie Brewer felt harassed more than he had 
uh, all year. I think they've harassed a quarterback more than they did all year. Again, Baylor was working without a bunch of offensive linemen, so that probably plays a little bit into it, but whole nother again there there's we have to take this whole all with a grain of salt like this whole this whole conversation this whole recap has to be taken with a grain of salt because baylor's trash period end of sentence baylor's trash you're not wrong in that offense i mean their offensive line was already let's just say a hot steaming pile of a dog who you know his owner forgot his bag and left you a treat on your front yard i mean that's basically what their offensive line was before they had two starters out for this game um they already weren't good right um so i want to say that you know they actually their running backs had such a tough time against texas defensive line that it was rumored that two of them actually quit football altogether this year um we'll we'll see still conflicting reports coming out on that but um yeah i mean it's it's uh all I'll say is you're right. Grains of salt should be had, but my one takeaway from our defense is there's no reason that we're not getting Big Al at least 30 reps on the defensive line. Alfred Collins is going to be a dude. A couple of quick hitters. The punting has been bad, period, end of sentence. Yes. Punting has been bad. Um, Bushevsky. Is it worse Is it worse to punt from your own 30 in average 15 <laughs> yards or from the opponent's 30 out of the back of the end zone? Don't know which is worse, but we saw both of them happen on Saturday. I was confused as to why Texas signed another pro kick Australia guy or was going to sign in the 2020 class, and then I... Saw Ryan Bushevsky this year, so maybe you're not. My other Podstradamus pick, uh, as far as the uh, the returner, didn't really get a shot, especially because well, they yeah. punted a lot out of the back of the end zone. Hard to do that. Anything else you want to call out, Kyle? Before we, before we move on. I mean, you're right. I would have loved for you to get a chance to get that returner one. They're, they're, they had Texas at zero punt returns, zero kick returns. The only thing I'll say is we didn't talk about Jawan Mitchell specifically. I just want to call him out. He had 12 tackles. We talked about the linebackers needing to step up. I think Overshone continued his improvement. I think Jawan Mitchell, yep. this was a Jawan Mitchell type of game, and, and he, he was very, very good in it, so credit should be given uh, to him. I think other than that, I mean, just uh, our punting needs to – get better but none were blocked so i'll take that as an improvement and then one kudos terrell bernard for baylor and 19 tackles two tackles for a loss and a sack himself i mean he carried a lot of that baylor team and and you know there's good players in the big 12 it's easy to forget that even on a bad team we talked about baylor not being elite there's some really really good players um even on kansas even on baylor on these teams and so shout out to him uh the last thing probably penalties um five for 50 is is better we're getting better you know they weren't hugely costly penalties like we've had in the past, but there was a cursed or senior captain penalty that just come on. I mean, there's plays this season. I get that. It's a weird season that senior leaders on team, like whether it's a Chris Brown, ill-time flex, which by the way, he seemed to improve on that this week. So good for him taking the bye week or it's a, you know, a Sam throw that a senior shouldn't make, or it's a cursed or boneheaded play. I mean, these senior leaders and captains on the team, like, I'm looking for a step up there too for the for the close of the season. That's I mean, I'll leave it at that. I just think there's there's some meat left on that bone to keep our analogy going. I don't want to talk about the senior captains and how I've been frustrated with at least 40% of the senior captains. Uh but five penalties for 50 yards, market improvement over what Texas has done basically all year. But Texas comes away with the win. They continue again. They're they're kind of a they're kind of a win and go home, uh win and stay alive, survive and thrive mm-hmm. situation. So, uh they they did that against Baylor. Now they face a tough challenge against Oklahoma State on Halloween, and we will have more for you on Thursday. So now's the part of the show where we do our quick 
Real quick this week, news whip around and we down the 40. So we do have to talk about some uh, football attrition. Byron Vaughn's a uh, player who you and I liked, and I think we maybe even like his mother's Twitter presence even more, <laughs> uh, entered his name into the transfer portal officially. He hasn't really seen a ton of playing time. Uh, he was part of that big first defensive class that, that Texas brought in um, and just hasn't been, been able to really crack the field too much. But he is officially in the transfer portal, and while his mom – liked our goodbye tweet to him so it feels almost official that he's gone yeah you hate to see it a kid who again i think you and i both have been rooting for just because we like him we like his family um he seems like a good kid i don't think this is anything of like a you know herman's lost the locker room or you know he just he you know was mistreated so i think it literally just a kid who even at a position we've talked about is thin has not really been able to crack that depth chart and so there's something about hasn't earned the coach's trust, wants the playing time, hasn't been able to get it. And I think that's what the, the transfer portal is for, right? When you get a kid who goes to a big program or any program and just gets stuck on the depth chart and thinks that he has a chance to contribute somewhere else, like give him the chance to, to go and try whether he goes to a comparable school or he steps down a little bit in the level, you know, go to Texas State down the road and, and you know, rack it up and show that you had the talent all along. I'm not sure what's next for him at all, uh, but I do wish him luck and success if it isn't on the 40 acres. But I do think that there is some talent there. Um, that, that still has a chance to, to show itself at whatever level and whatever school uh, that's at. Just go to SMU. That's where all the old Longhorns go. <laughs> Number one volleyball swept Texas Tech. Three, nothing in both of the matchups this past weekend. Texas has only dropped three sets all season, which is a uh, it's a pretty impressive number. No, that's very, very good. And and the kind of interesting thing is because of you look at the Texas volleyball schedule and there's a big one that at least I think you and I have had circled on there. Um, and that's the, the Texas sits at number one, but the Baylor game November 5th is number two. So there was one game in between their TCU, which has actually been postponed due to COVID for next week. So Texas volleyball effectively has a bye to prepare for a number two matchup with the Baylor Bears in volleyball, which again is the national number one versus number two. So um, that one will probably determine the Big 12 championship and the whole season effectively. Um, all they have left after that is, is one matchup against West Virginia. So a, a huge one to tune in for. Again, not next week, but the week after on November 5th uh, against Baylor. Absolutely. Uh, so again, Take the week off, prepare, do it Tom Herman style, come out, blast them. Soccer could not extend the win, the back-to-back wins to a full win streak, losing to uh, number 12, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's a really good soccer team. Soccer, I think we've seen what they're going to do, and I, I think they're a good team, but again, they're not a top 10, top 15 team, and, and we, I don't think we expected them to be there this year. Yeah, next one up for them also is Baylor. Uh, it was a game ahead of them in the Big 12, so uh, a lot of hatred to, to flow directly uh, down 35 from Austin to Waco across all the sports uh, in this this kind of week uh, to two-week frame, so uh, go go cheer on the, uh, the, the Longhorns. They need it. Let's jump Baylor at least in those rankings in the Big 12 in soccer. So we've got men's basketball and women's basketball schedules, and we'll actually do full season previews uh, over the bye week, so you'll you have that to look forward to really excited about that uh we've already got a women's basketball preview guest lined up to help us out uh and so we'll have a men's basketball guest to help us out as well but the men open the season on november 25th against ut rio grande uh then go to the um Maui, not Maui Invitational in North Carolina. Uh, conference play opens against Baylor uh, December 13th. They'll play Kentucky as their Big 12 SEC Challenge opponent. Uh, then they'll close the season at Texas Tech. Um, so that's that's a, that's a that's a, I mean, the Big 12 is going to be really good. I think this year probably one of the better conferences yeah. 
in the country. Women's basketball breaking in a new head coach. Uh, they open their non-conference November 25th against SMU. That's actually going to be a doubleheader for uh, at the drum. So if you want to probably maybe get two for the price of one, see how that goes. Probably You can probably get in for like 40 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 40 bucks for your whole family probably actually. Uh, they get the Aggies in the Big 12 SEC Challenge December 6th. Uh, but the marquee matchup of the non-conference schedule, got to call this one out, December 13th against Tennessee. Uh, and then they'll open conference play December 17th against Kansas. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk women's basketball more in this podcast. I'm excited for this to become a, a women's basketball school. I think our men's basketball team has a good chance. Both those previews are going to be fun. Y'all need to tune in for those, but especially women's basketball, I think um, with our coaching hire that uh, I think Chris Conti put all his chips in and said, there's no reason we shouldn't be winning. Texas, I mean, you look at our history, our coaches, kind of the 80s, 90s of Texas women's basketball should be the gold standard of that sport, and this year should be an exciting step towards that. So I'm excited for all the basketballs. It'll be very, very fun. We got some tennis this past weekend. So men's tennis played at the ITA Texas Regional Championship. Uh, Peyton Holden and my favorite player probably on campus, CM Woldab, uh, won the red bracket in doubles. Uh, there was an all-Texas finals in the blue bracket, so they had uh, two sides, red and blue. Uh, Micah Braswell and Jacob Bullard were the top seed. They took down Leighton Allen and Nevin Armill, in the, uh, who were the second seed. They took them down. Women played at the best tournament name ever, H-E-B Baylor versus Texas Shootout. Great name, perfect name. Uh, our friend Fernanda Labraña Labraña uh, Martin, <laughs> led the led the charge uh, with Martina Perez Moore and Peyton uh, Stearns all winning their singles matches. Texas, uh, unlike a year ago where doubles was really a, a like you knew what was going to happen, uh, dropped all three doubles matches because there's not a Tarati uh, Tarati on Tarati doubles team this year, which makes me sad. Yeah, um, it doesn't feel the same without the Tiradis, but I think you know, they, they, as we get into that spring season, we'll, we'll see what, exactly what each of these teams are, and I think they both have a chance to be quite good. But a lot of Baylor in all of our sports this past week or two. A lot of Bears, and I'm glad to move past it. But now it's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, how's your how's your Axum Jacks um, how's your Axum Jacks kind of knowledge go? Are you are you up on what's going on in Stephen F. Austin other than scouting them before the UTEP game because those were the the dog days of no sports COVID trying to find any information about college football? Are you up on your Stephen F. Austin at all? I'm not, Kyle. I'm not. Okay, and dear listeners, I assume you may not be as well, and that should all change, guys. There is a. Um, there's a fun little program happening out there, and I know this isn't typically what we bang the drum on, but this is college football related, and it's good story related. I'll say that. So, um, Stephen F. Austin coach Colby uh, Carthel is um, is in his second season, trying to get a program going out there, um, and he actually was the the I would say um, second most famous uh, announcee on October 14th of being. Um, COVID positive for in the college coaching ranks. Of course, that was the day Nick Saban, um, you know, had his, his, his announcement that, you know, obviously we were able to cure, um, and Saban was able to coach, uh, they were false positives apparently, but, uh, you know, who wasn't 
was Mr. Carthel. So in that point, what a coach does is you, you get an interim coach, right, to take over. Well, he has a special coach on his staff uh, who, who I think typically scouts the special teams, drives into town one day a week to scout the special teams on game day. Happens to be his dad, who's a retired coach from, you know, eight or nine different programs out West Texas A&M, San Angelo, I think Eastern New Mexico. Um, he coached like a, an arena league team out in the panhandle at one point, just kind of a small school legend. Um, and so he, he calls up his dad as the guy who comes in and, and just dad comes in, gets the win. He gives it to him. He credits him and says, you're the head coach. So that's your 125th, uh, college football win. He gives it to his dad, which I think is just a, a great story in itself. Um, next week, you know, he's done with his, his COVID, uh, procedures he's cleared to coach the next week and Stephen F. Austin is taking on um, their their one conference game against Alcorn this is the only game they play in the fall so it's effectively a conference championship well that game ends 35 to 33 in overtime and if you haven't seen it I think it was on SportsCenter it went around Twitter um, but but Carthel, the, the the younger, this is not dad, thank goodness, um, actually uh, got pretty hyped about it, pretty jacked. His players surrounded him, and all of a sudden a shirt was removed, and he, uh, he, he was hooping, hollering, and his players just were obviously living for the moment, but he tweeted out after the fact that uh, if you can't be a, a big-time college football coach, at least be a hashtag big guy football coach, and he said no one will ever confuse me for spending too much time in the weight room, but that is like, if I'm not watching Texas football, I would prefer to watch exactly what that was over whoever you know Alabama is playing that week. To me, that's the joy of college football. It's the joy of college sports. Is this coach doesn't make millions of dollars? He doesn't. His name doesn't ring out. I, I promise that probably at least don't feel guilty about this. Half, maybe three quarters of our listeners hadn't heard his name uh, before I just mentioned it. But to me, that's the spirit in the heart of college football. And sometimes you and I, Gerald, get so wrapped up in the millions of dollars at stake the big expectations we have to win everything has to be perfect why haven't we fixed it yet fire this guy hire this guy make sure you sing this tradition do this thing it it becomes it loses some of its fun right Gerald you and I are lucky that we get to spend hours of our week watching breaking down talking about and because we have this podcast our wives let us do all of that about a children's game effectively right like football even at its most million dollar corporate NFL level is a child's game and we get to talk about it and we all get to love it and spend a lot of hours getting some joy out of it. And so I just, this was a reminder to me this week that college football can be fun. College sports can be fun. Sports in general can be fun. And it shouldn't always be taken so, so seriously. And sometimes you just need a coach to rip his shirt off in the middle of his players, you know, who are excited to have him back and healthy and to win their big game of the season. So uh, kudos to, to, both coaches, Carthel, um, and, and all the Lumberjack fans this week. I'll go ahead and even give you an Axum Jacks. Like, sports should be fun. Like, it's it's a game, right? And it's hard to have that conversation when coaches are being compensated multi-million dollars and there's $221 million being generated off of Texas football, right? But, like, we forget a lot that, like, sports are fun and that somehow we've created a, a money printing machine out of a children's game. But on, on that same note, Kyle, and, and I hesitate to talk about this, but I'm just going to go ahead and talk about it. Um, I am banging the drum this week on hopefully putting the, te- the, the eyes of Texas debate to bed. I am officially tired of hearing about it. I'm officially tired of seeing people tweet about it. I'm officially tired of 
one-sided arguments from whichever side that you're on. You and I both said that, like, we're fine if they change it, but I think we're also fine with the decision to um, not change it and educate people about its past. And so we're, we've tried to be pretty pretty temperate about this whole thing. We haven't really um, put our put our opinions out there too much, but I'll just go ahead and say it like this. I think the reason that the eyes of Texas became an issue two weeks ago is because Texas got their behinds whipped. And I think the players stayed on the field this week. Texas won, and we saw seven tweets about it, and then people decided to move on. And so... For me, it's it's never really been about the song, at least from my vantage point. It's not really been about the song with people. If we have better things to talk about, then we'll talk about better things. And so Texas winning means you got something better to talk about. But when you're when you're pissy about Texas losing, everything sucks. And so I think we have to keep in perspective that we're we we live in we live in a society that is the polls are the loudest and the moderate people don't say much because we're tired of the people on the polls. And so regardless of your feelings on this, what I'd like to say is let's move on and talk about stuff that matters. Like what's actually happening between the chalk lines for 60 minutes. That's my opinion on the eyes of Texas. Let's just, whatever happens happens. And as long as Texas is winning, I don't care. Yeah, Joe. And I think as long as Texas is winning, this will actually not be something that a lot of people care about. If you do care and feel strongly about it, that's that's okay. It's fine. But it's also fine to feel and care strongly and just you know sit in your living room and maybe tell your wife and, and don't take to message boards and the internet and tell all your friends about it. It's okay to just you know let the team make their decisions and and, and you cheer for them. Um, either way that it, that this ends up going. But yeah, I agree. I'm happy to be done. We're not going to talk about it ever again. Chapter close. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think there was, I'll just say this, there was one tweet going around that I think the, with no um, band in the stadium, they played Willie Nelson playing Whiskey River. Uh, take my mind with, with DKR bopping along in the background. And I'm just saying, as Bitter White Guy said on Twitter, uh, that's a pretty good fight song right there. But either way, we'll let the, we'll let the chips fall where they are. And like I said, just enjoy it. College sports are fun. They're supposed to be a break from reality, which, guys, 2020 has been a tough year for all of us. So let's make sports fun again. Can everybody agree that Willie Nelson is incredible? That's the one thing I think we can all agree on. Willie Nelson is incredible. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Corbin. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can catch me. I've got a couple of other things working uh, in the background, some some other offerings that hopefully we'll have up and running in the next couple weeks. But thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Sorry, Brains Covidians. Hook them.